0: From Romans chapter 10, then from 1 Peter 1, and finally from Matthew chapter 13. So, first, Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, and we'll read from verse 1 to 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And that's a a key verse there. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We'll turn now to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 23 to 25. So having just read that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God, we read here in 1 Peter 1, verse, beginning at verse 23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news or the gospel that was preached to you. Well, finally, we turn to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, where we read the Lord Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower where he explains how that parable uh, illustrates what happens when the Word is preached. Matthew 13, and verse 18 to 23. Here then, the parable of the sower or the explanation of that parable. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, that he has no root in himself, but endures for a while and He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirtyfold. So far our reading from God's Word. Dear congregation of Jesus Christ, would it be fair to say that to say of those of you who are parents that One of your deepest desires for your children is for them to know and love the Lord. You want your children to be successful in life, to have a good education and get a good job, to find a good spouse and have children of their own. But more than all that, you want for your children to grow up to love and serve the Lord as living members of his church, don't you? Well, as a thought experiment with the goal of knowing our enemy, who wants precisely the opposite, let's think about this from the opposite perspective just for a moment. If you wanted to make sure that your children don't or won't love the Lord when they're older, what might you be doing now while they're younger? The most effective way, surely, is to make sure that they're hearing God's Word as little as possible, especially from the mouths and from the hearts of their own parents. You're going to want to make sure that you rarely read from the Bible in your children's presence. And if you do read the Bible, you do it with as little enthusiasm or feeling, as little heart as possible. Certainly you won't want to give the impression that the words in this book have any meaning for you and your life personally. You'll want to make sure that your children pick up the vibe that the Bible is something you might pick up from time to time out of respect for the place it held in past generations. But make sure they also pick up the vibe that it's got nothing on your favorite shows and sports teams or whatever else gets you excited. If you want your children to leave the church when they're older, make sure to sideline the Bible in your home life when they're younger. The same would apply for the church, for life in the church. The more the Word of God gets pushed to the edges of our church life, and the more other things come and take its place in the center, the more likely it will be that the church will lose the next generation to the world. The same applies for family life, perhaps even all the more so. You see, it seems to be a general rule that where the Word of God is pushed to the sidelines, whether in the church or in the family, then the usual result is that the next generation abandons the faith. The opposite seems to be true as well. Where the Word of God is at the center, in church and family, then it appears to usually be the case that next, the next generation will love and serve the Lord. Now, there are exceptions In both cases. But this seems to be the general rule. But not only do we observe this to be the case in our experience. More importantly, this is what the Bible teaches. Romans 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And similarly, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, Peter 1 verse 23, You have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the Bible teaches that the word of God, and in particular the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the means that God uses to work faith in people's hearts. Well, it's this teaching of the Bible that we'll consider more closely this afternoon in connection with Lord's Day 25 of the Heidelberg Catechism. The question we want to answer from God's Word this afternoon is, where does faith come from? And what we'll see is that ultimately faith comes from God, the Holy Spirit, who creates it by means of the Word and who strengthens it by means of the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper. So first, let's see that faith is created by the Holy Spirit by the means of His Word. Now, to put this in context, we want to first review what uh, this faith is that we're talking about. Back near the beginning of the Catechism in Lord's Day 7, it says that faith is necessary in order for us to be saved. Whereas all of us perished through Adam, All of us died through Adam, spiritually. Not all of us are saved by Christ. That is not all humans. Only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. By nature we are connected to Adam and his sin. Like branches are connected to a tree. The Bible says we are conceived and born this way. We are conceived and born in sin And therefore are by nature children of wrath, so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. Only when we are by grace regenerated and born again by the Holy Spirit, only then do we become by grace the adopted children of God, as we are severed from Adam and grafted into Christ as our new rootstock. It's like if you have an apple tree whose root system is rotten and diseased. This causes the branches to bear rotten fruit and diseased leaves. If you find a, a sapling, a healthy sapling with a healthy root system, then you can take one of the branches from the bad tree and then you can graft it in to the good tree, and it will bear good fruit. And this is like what happens when a person is regenerated and born again by the Holy Spirit. What that looks like from the human side is true faith in Christ. That's why the call of the gospel is believe, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Well, what does this saving faith involve? Well Lord says 7 explained that the true saving faith by which we are grafted into Christ and receive all His benefits, it involves a sure knowledge and a willing acceptance of what God has revealed in His word, as well as a firm reliance and heartfelt trust in Christ alone for our redemption and reconciliation to God. Lord's Day eight to 22, then, they go through the Apostles' Creed as a summary of what is all promised to us in the gospel. What ought to be the content of our faith. In Lord's Day 23 and 24, just before our Lord's Day for this evening, these, these two Lord's Days, they deal with the result of our faith. In Christ, we are righteous before God and heirs to eternal life. And Good works are, are the fruit of faith. Well, now in Lord's Day 25, the Catechism asks the question, where does this faith come from? And it answers, from the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. So the question we want to ask this evening is, where does the Bible teach this? We read uh, a few passages together, and this isn't exactly what the Bible teaches in these words. The Bible doesn't say it in exactly these words, that Faith comes from the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. But that doesn't mean it's not a biblical teaching. What we have here in the catechism is a summary of what the Bible teaches, which takes into account a number of different Bible passages and puts them together. One of those passages that we read together is Romans 10, verse 17, which says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Remember, our question is where does faith come from? Well, this verse says faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? The word of Christ, that is, the gospel. So, is Paul saying that everyone who hears the gospel believes? That's not what he says. In fact, in the following verses in Romans 10, he points out that the Israelites in his day who rejected Christ and didn't believe in him, they had heard the gospel, but they did not believe it. Faith comes from hearing then, but not everyone who hears necessarily believes. Jesus teaches us this when he explains the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, doesn't he? There are more people who hear the word than there are people who believe it. Well, what then is the difference between those who believe the word and those who don't? Well, Jesus explains that the believers are those who understand the word. The kind of understanding that he means... It's not simply a head knowledge, but it's what the prophet Isaiah refers to when he says of the Israelites, this people's heart has grown dull and with their eyes they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand not with their mind, but with their heart and turn and I would hear them. The understanding which believers have you see, is a spiritual understanding of the heart. And this kind of understanding is something that neither the Israelites nor we have by nature. By nature, none of us have this kind of understanding. None of us are that good soil that Jesus speaks about. None of us are able to receive the word with true faith by nature because we are spiritually deaf and blind and ignorant. So how is it that there are some, better, how is it that there are any who have this understanding and believe in Christ and are saved if none of us have it by nature? The miracle is not that so few believe the word, or that so few don't believe the word, but that so few do believe the word. The only possible answer as to to how this happens is that this faith is a gift given by God Himself. And this is exactly what the Bible teaches. True faith is a supernatural gift from God the Holy Spirit. It's grace that makes all the difference. Ephesians 2 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. As God promised through the prophet Ezekiel, he graciously gives his people a new heart, replacing their heart of stone with the heart of flesh and putting his spirit within them. In the words of Jesus to Nicodemus in John 3, the Holy Spirit causes people to be born again so that they enter the kingdom of heaven. In Titus 3, the apostle Paul calls this supernatural gift the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, By which God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. So, where does faith come from? The Gospel teaches us that it comes ultimately from God, the Holy Spirit. Does this then contradict what we read in Romans 10, verse 17, that faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ? No, these truths belong together. Faith comes from the Holy Spirit through the hearing of the Gospel. The message of the Gospel is the means that the Holy Spirit uses to create faith. Much as God's Word in the beginning was the means He used to create the world. So on the one hand, you can say that the world was created by the Word of God. At the same time, we confess that the world was created by God Himself through the Word. The same is true of faith. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says, God who said in the beginning, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Spiritual rebirth and saving faith are part of the new creation that the Holy Spirit is bringing into existence through the Word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the Bible says at the end of 1 Peter 1, true Christian believers are those who have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news or gospel that was preached to them. So to bring all these pieces together then, here is the answer that the Bible gives to our question, where does true saving faith come from? According to the Bible, it comes from the Holy Spirit, ultimately, who works or creates it in our hearts by means of or through the word of Christ, the gospel. So this being the case, we can take our thought experiment from at the beginning of the sermon and we can think about what we might do differently if it is indeed our desire that the next generation in our families and in our church may grow up to know and love the Lord by responding to the gospel in true faith. The fact that faith comes from the Holy Spirit who creates it by the word of the gospel means that on the one hand, we ought to be exposing our children and ourselves to the word as much and as often as possible, as if it depended on us. And on the other hand, because it doesn't depend on us, we ought to be praying we ought to be praying for our children and for ourselves that the holy spirit will use his word to create faith in our hearts. We should make use of every opportunity we can get to be hearing the word ourselves and to be exposing our children to the word. And we should be doing so prayerfully keeping in mind the parable of the sower which teaches us that faith and regeneration are not automatic but are the gracious gift of the Holy Spirit. The word of the gospel and prayer for the Holy Spirit should be central both in church life and family life because God's word teaches that these are the ordinary means of grace that the Holy Spirit uses to create faith in our hearts. So make use of these means, both at church and at home, Open God's Word and read it regularly. Teach it diligently to your children. Talk of it when you sit around the table. Talk of it. And when you drive down the road, talk about the Word. Talk about the Gospel. When you end the day and when you begin the day, talk about the Gospel. Let the Word of Christ dwell in your family. Richly from Monday to Saturday. And then on Saturday night and Sunday morning perhaps, prepare your family for Sunday worship by praying for the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of the gospel. To create faith in the hearer's hearts and fruit in their lives. Remember, it's not automatic. Pray for the Holy Spirit to use it. Now, don't take these as commands that I'm giving you or rules that you have to follow, but take them as encouragements to to be creative in how you expose yourself and your children to the means that the Spirit of God uses to create saving faith. The Bible teaches us that faith comes from the Holy Spirit who creates it by the Word of Christ, the Gospel. Well, if this is how the Holy Spirit uses the Word, how does he use the sacraments of baptism the Lord's Supper? He uses them together with the Word. And he uses them to strengthen our faith in the promises of that Word. The sacraments have no value apart from the Word of God. And we receive no benefit from them apart from faith in the promises that they signify and seal to us the following Lord's Days, the Catechism will focus on baptism and the Lord's Supper separately. But what is it that these two have in common? And how do they relate to the preaching of the gospel? Well, Lord's Day 25 explains that both baptism and the Lord's Supper are holy, visible signs and seals that Christ has instituted for his New Testament church so that when we use them in faith, he is pleased to use them to assure us of his own faithfulness to his promises in the gospel. Now, a good example from the Bible of how God has designed for the sacraments to function is found in the story of Abraham in Genesis 15. God had already promised beforehand and preached the gospel to Abram beforehand in Genesis 12 with a threefold promise of land, descendants, and blessings. But Abraham, if you remember the story of the life of Abraham, he had his ups and he had his downs when it came to believing God's promises. It wasn't always easy. And so God gave him a sign. He told Abraham to look at the stars in the night sky and try to count them. And then he made a connection between one of his promises and these countless stars. He said, so shall your descendants be. God gave the multitude of the stars as a sign to represent the multitude of the descendants that he had already promised. This is not a new promise, but a new sign to confirm a promise already made. And the sign is meaningless without the promise. It would just be a multitude of stars if it wasn't connected to that promise of God. The sign adds nothing to the promise, but the sign does act as a confirmation or guarantee because God attaches His promise to that sign. It acts as a confirmation or guarantee that of God's commitment to His promise on the one hand and as a foothold for Abram's faith on the other hand, a foothold or, or, or a handhold, something to hold on to. And, Lord willing, when we come to baptism and the Lord's supper, I'll speak a little bit more about that. And the same is true for the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's supper. That the same is true of, as is true for, uh, for that sign of, of the stars for Abraham, the same is true for the sacraments of baptism and Lord's supper. Their meaning comes from the promise of the gospel. They're meaningless without that. The promise comes first, and then the sign is added to seal and confirm the reliability of the promise. What is the promise? That God graciously grants to every true believer forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. This is the promise of the gospel that God has designed both baptism and the Lord's Supper to signify and seal to believers. Why? So that we may be strengthened and built up in our faith. So just as God uses the word of Christ to create faith, so also he uses the sacraments to strengthen faith in the hearts of those who have faith. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are not things that the church thought up for itself as a way of expressing our commitment to God. But they were, as it were, thought up by God. They were instituted for us by God to express His commitment to His church in Christ, as declared in the gospel. Although the sacraments are for believers, they're not, in the first place, about believers, they're about the gospel. And it's when we recognize this that the sacraments then focus our faith outside of ourselves to the promise of God. And the Holy Spirit uses them to assure us and strengthen our faith that our entire salvation rests firmly and securely on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. And it doesn't rest on the quality or strength of our own faith or feelings. This is the kind of assurance you and I need, isn't it? Well, since God's Word teaches us that it pleases the Holy Spirit to use the Word as His ordinary means of creating faith, and since in the New Covenant He's instituted baptism and in the Lord's Supper to accompany that Word for the strengthening of our faith, shall we not make use of these means of grace as often as possible? And if we neglect these means by infre- irregular church attendance or infrequent celebration of the Lord's Supper? Do we not neglect these to our spiritual detriment and the malnourishing of our souls? Here's some food for thought. The historical reason for infrequent Lord's Supper celebration in our own Reformed tradition is no doubt rooted in a fear of Roman Catholic superstition at the time of the Reformation. You see, the Roman Catholics had sidelined the word and centered the sacraments in their worship, and they were teaching that the sacraments themselves actually created faith rather than the Holy Spirit through the word. And the Reformers rightly saw the need to restore the preaching of the gospel to the central place in the church's worship. But in the process, they sidelined the Lord's Supper this is part of the tradition that we as a Reformed Church have inherited, a practical tradition. But another part of our inherited tradition as Reformed Churches is the doctrinal tradition that we've been examining in light of God's Word this afternoon. This includes the biblical teaching that God has ordained the sacrament of Lord's Supper to be used by the, Lord, by the Church for the strengthening of believers, In the time of the Reformation, there was the danger that a false understanding of the sacraments would lead people to depend too much on them. But what is the danger in our day? Could it be that there's a danger in Reformed churches that despite our biblical doctrine of the sacraments, we contradict that doctrine in practice? Surely this is something we need to think about and discuss in light of what our church officially confesses to be the doctrine of God's Word, in Lord's Day 25. The Holy Spirit uses the Word to create faith. He also uses the sacraments alongside the Word to strengthen faith. Do we not need that? To have our faith strengthened and built up, As another of our church's confessions, the Canons of Dort, puts it, just as God uses food to nourish the natural life of our bodies, so He uses the gospel to nourish and sustain the spiritual life of our souls. The Spirit uses the means that God Himself has ordained, and therefore so should we. Faith comes from the Holy Spirit who creates it by the word and strengthens it by the sacraments. And so, let us use both word and sacraments in prayer and faith. And may all the glory and praise be to God alone, both for the means and for the fruit. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but the gift of God. Amen.